and welcome back to Orthopod. I'm Eleanor Burns, a third year medical student, and in today's episode we are going to have a look at the growth, injury and repair of nerve injuries. I will briefly describe the anatomy of peripheral nerves, discuss the various types of nerve injury, and how these can be repaired or healed. So let's begin with a little bit of anatomy and discuss peripheral nerves. So within the nerve itself, there are a variety of diameters of nerve fibres, varying from 0.3 to 22 microns, and the variation in size is related to their variation in function, which I will go over later. Around each fibre, Schwann cells form a thin cytoplasmic tube, and around the larger fibres, there's a multi-layered insulating membrane, also called the myelin sheath. There are also multiple layers of connective tissue surrounding the axons and building up to complete the whole nerve. So the peripheral nerve is a highly organised structure comprised of nerve fibres, blood vessels and connective tissue. The axon, which is the long process of the neuron, are covered with endoneurium and grouped together into fascicles, also called nerve bundles and covered in perineurium. These are then grouped together to form the nerve itself, which is covered in epineurium. As I mentioned before, the various categories of peripheral nerves have various diameters. They range from the very small sized fibres, which are less than one micron, which supply the dull, aching, burning pain and temperature sensation. These fibres are called the C fibres. And they go right up to the larger fibres, which are the large motor axons called A alpha. So with increasing size of nerves, you get an increased speed of transmission. So what are the different types of injuries? Well, there are two main categories, compression or trauma, which can either be direct, such as direct blows or lacerations, or indirect, such as evulsions or traction. There are various different conditions of nerve compression, which can also be known as entrapment. The classical conditions being carpal tunnel syndrome, which is the entrapment of the median nerve at the wrist, sciatica, the entrapment of the spinal root by intervertebral discs, and then there's also Morton's neuroma, which is the entrapment of the digital nerve in the second or third web space of the forefoot. So what about injuries associated with trauma? Well, there are three important trauma injuries to consider. Neuropraxia, axonmesis, and neurotmesis. In neuropraxia, the nerve is in complete continuity. So in other words, all the way down to the axon, the nerve is in continuity, but it has been injured. It can be injured by compression, or stretching will also injure it and damage the microcirculation, or it could also be injured by bruising from direct trauma. This results in a reversible conduction block due, due to localised ischemia and demyelination. So for a short period in that nerve, you cannot get conduction. In general, the prognosis for neuropraxia is good and settles within weeks or months. We will now move on to axonmesis. So what is this? Well, it is increasing damage to the nerve. In this situation, the endometrium, i.e. the tube of the nerve, is in continuity, but you get a disruption of the axon lying within it. 
This makes it a much more severe injury compared to neuropraxia. It can occur from stretching, a more than 15% elongation, or a more severe crushing or direct blow compared to neuropraxia. Then something called Wallerian degeneration follows, which is distal to the site of injury. The nerve fibre effectively disappears, although the endoneural tube remains, and the nerve shrinks back to the last node of rhombi, i.e. the preceding one. The prognosis in this is pretty fair. Because the endoneurium is still intact, the nerve can regrow down this tube. Sensory recovery is often better than, than motor, but often the sensory recovery is not completely normal. But it is often enough to recognise pain, hot and cold, sharp and blunt, but not the very finest of sensations. So what about neurotmesis? Neurotmesis is a complete division of the nerve and loss of those endoneural tubes. It occurs from laceration or revulsion. And generally, if a nerve is completely divided, there is no recovery unless repaired, either by direct suturing or grafting. And the reason for this is because the nerve will grow out of the proximal end, but it has nothing to direct its growth, and therefore the growth is distorted. And you basically get a large neuroma, which does not reconnect with that distal end of the nerve. In slightly less serious causes of neurotmesis, you can get some rewiring, but with the endoneural tube disrupted, there's a high chance of miswiring due to regeneration. For example, sensory nerves growing down motor pathways or vice versa. So in general, the prognosis is poor. I found learning the differences between neuropraxia, axonotmesis and neurotmesis quite challenging when I was studying them for my exams. So in order to help me, I came up with a silly way to try and remember them, and I hope that it helps you. I compared the peripheral nerve to a beaded necklace. One of those necklaces that have the long beads that connect together. Where the thread of the necklace is your nerve and the beads your endometrium. So in neuropraxia, this is when you have a knot in the thread of your necklace. It is easily fixed, but in the meantime it can cause you some irritation and be a bit uncomfortable. Axonotmesis is when your thread is broken, but the beads are still intact. So in this case, it takes a bit longer to fix, but you're still able to repair your necklace as you just need to re-thread the beads and tie your necklace together. However, no matter how hard you try, your necklace will never quite be the same, as to repair it you would have needed to re-tie the thread, making it slightly smaller or tighter than before. This is similar to the healing of axonotmesis, as the function of the nerve normally doesn't completely go back to normal. And then you have neurotmesis. This is when both your thread and beads of your necklace are broken. In this case, it is really hard to re-thread your necklace as the beads are also broken, so you have lost the guidance for your thread, and it is really hard to repair. Therefore, you would only be able to repair your necklace if you went out and bought new beads. And in the case of neurotmesis, you would only be able to repair it by direct suturing or grafting. Let's move on to the different clinical features of a nerve injury. 
You can think of these by breaking them down into three categories, sensory, motor and reflex features. So a sensory feature you could demonstrate would be dysthesia, which is disordered sensation. And that may be through anaesthesia, which is numbness, or reduced sensation, or even pins and needles, also known as paresthesia. On the motor side, there can be paresis, which is weakness, or paralysis. Dry skin is also a common feature because if you remember, the peripheral nerves carry the parasympathetic and sympathetic nerves in addition to the generalised motor and sensory nerves. And therefore, you routinely will be able to demonstrate the loss of tactile adherence because the pseudomotor nerve fibres are not stimulating sweat glands in the skin. And if there is no peripheral nerve, there is nothing for the reflex to pass up. So reflexes would also be diminished or absent. So what about healing of the peripheral nerve injury? Well, it is incredibly slow. Regeneration proceeds at a rate of about 1 mm per day, or 1 to 3 mm in children. It starts with the initial death of axons distal to the site of injury, which is called Wallerian degeneration, and then there is degradation of the myelin sheath, and proximally the nerve dies back to the site of the moat of the next node of rhombi. Proximal axonal budding, which is the beginning of regrowth, starts after the fourth day. So what about prognosis? Well, it depends whether the nerve is pure or mixed. Pure nerves tend to recover better compared to mixed nerves due to them potentially getting mixed up with the different nerves. It also depends how distal the lesion is. The more proximal the injury, the worse. Tenilcine can monitor recovery. To find the tenilcine, you can tap over the site of the nerve and paresthesia will be felt for um, as far distally as regeneration has progressed. You can also assess injury and monitor recovery through electrophysiological nerve conduction studies. And finally, let's talk about how nerves are repaired. Well, there are only really two ways of approaching it. You can directly repair the nerve if there has been a laceration and the two nerve endings are close together, as well as there not being any nerve tissue loss. Then you can repair the nerve itself. These are mostly repaired in nerve bundles, but more recently growth factors have been used. You can also repair a nerve through nerve grafting when there has been a loss of a nerve. This can be due to damage at the time of the incident or due to retraction where the nerve endings cannot be pulled together. Or even in late repairs when surgeons have gone in three months later. In this situation, surgeons will take a nerve which is not particularly useful, which is the sural nerve, and they will use that to provide a passage for the axons to, re to regrow down. Occasionally, in the fingers, surgeons can take muscle fibres and freeze them and the muscle fibres themselves act as a tube for the axons to regrow down. This concludes this week's episode on peripheral nerve injuries, healing and repair. I hope you enjoyed! Please like and share this podcast with all your friends and colleagues and please let us know if you have any questions. This is Eleanor Burns. 
Thank you so much for listening and tune in next time for another episode with Arthropod.